from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to the 100th episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay. And I uh, just wanted to briefly thank all of the people involved in the show to get us to uh, to this milestone episode. Everybody from from SBC that's been a guest, anyone that uh, has has been a fan and, and listened into the show, I appreciate it. Uh, it's been fun bringing it, and, and hopefully I can bring you another 100 episodes in the future. And my guest for this milestone episode, I can't think of a better guy to bring on. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum. He's a regular on the program and one of the kindest people I've had the pleasure of meeting. And uh, he's a big-time Dallas Mavericks fan, Frankie Neifinger. Frankie, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no okay. I gotta be honest, I completely forgot it was the 100th episode. Congratulations to you, man. <laughs> thanks so much. I uh, appreciate that. And, uh, I hope I don't disappoint, though. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I don't expect you to. I uh, You've been uh, you've been a big part of this, and uh, I think this is your third or fourth time on the pod. It, uh, it's uh, it's been real fun having you, and the Mavs have been a, a really fun team to to watch this season. Right now, Dallas sitting at nineteen and ten overall, which is uh, good for fifth in the Western Conference. They are first in the NBA in offense and posting one of the the best offensive efficiency seasons in NBA history. Uh, they are uh, currently 15th in the league in defense. And, uh, Frank, the first question I wanted to ask you, this has been kind of an interesting statistic for this team, but uh, right now they're 8-7 and seven at home, but a very impressive 11-3 and three on the road. What, what have you noticed that has led this team to be so great when they're, when they're traveling away from Dallas? First off, did you say the record's 19 and 10? I thought it was 20 and 9. I, I remember I turned the Raptors game off for like 20 yesterday. <laughs> yeah, they. <laughs> yeah, they were. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll get into that, but uh, yep, the 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 record is correct. Yikes! Yeah, uh, well, I, you know, the home record, the away record. I think it really just goes. That's a lot of Carlisle stuff there. So. But the home record being bad, or not bad, but you know, subpar is is what's kind of weird. The road record I kind of understand because Carlisle kind of has that pop effect where no matter who they're playing, they play well. They run the system, guys have their roles, they play their roles well, and they can really win anywhere. I feel like they don't get that huge home benefit. It's just kind of you're playing the Mavs, you're playing the Mavs. You play the Spurs, granted this year aside. You play the Spurs, you play the Spurs. It doesn't really matter where you are because it's it's so system-oriented and, and blocks out all the home stuff and away stuff. But, yeah, 8-7, it's not great, um, especially when you consider they've had this whole road streak with Luka out. So they've actually had the better record in, in the games that he hasn't played, I guess, when you look at it that way. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Have you... Have you kind of picked up on anything, any reasons why that might have been the case? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head there with, uh, with the coaching. You know, I think the, the best coach teams in the league are typically the ones that uh, are, are most successful on the road. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think there could just be a little bit of randomness in terms of how good they've been on the road and how kind of, you know, average they've been at home. But, but yeah, Carlisle has done an absolutely fantastic job with this team in, in uh, again, building – with with you know pretty good offensive talent, but not you know not the greatest offensive talent we've seen in the history of the NBA, and yet they're putting up numbers uh, along the alongside the likes of you know a 2017 Golden State Warriors team with with Durant and, and Steph and Clay Thompson. 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's fun to watch, too. I mean, it's it's weird because they, they put up points, but you look on the floor and you have guys like Jalen Brunson and, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Don't get me wrong, I like these guys, but they are not, you know, they're not your world beaters by any means. Right. Um, so I, I wanted to get into that game. You you referenced uh, the, the game on... on uh, on Sunday afternoon, and and that's the last game for Dallas uh, prior to uh, to after Christmas. I think they play on the on the twenty sixth, and that may be uh, Luka Doncic's return from from the ankle injury. But uh, they ended up going on the road and and playing Toronto, and it looked like uh, the Mavericks were going to uh, continue that uh, that road form. They actually got down eighteen to six in the first quarter, but then went on. A 79 to 37 run to take an 85 to 55 lead. They were up 30 points late in the third quarter, but then uh, Toronto absolutely annihilated them in the fourth quarter. Kyle Lowry went bonkers, and Dallas ended up losing 110-107. And you know, prior to that fourth quarter, it looked like Dallas was going to go three and one on this on this really difficult road trip without Luka Doncic, and and they looked really impressive. But maybe the one thing that uh, is is uh, the the Mavericks kryptonite without their star player is the ball handling and dealing with pressure because Toronto threw out a a two two one full court press that uh, that really gave the Mavs troubles. Yeah. Yeah. You think that the the Raptors deserve it, having had such a struggle over the last year. No, no good things happened to them, so they need that big fourth quarter comeback. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, honestly, it's a testament to the Raptors. They're, they're playing at home. Kyle Lowry is on the floor. Whenever he's on the floor, they play hard. They play the whole game, and they have a bunch of guys who, who Nick Nurse, another great coach, puts puts in the game. The, the Chris Boucher. You know, I'm fine with Chris Butcher. I, I really don't care. They got Malcolm Miller. Uh, you know, all these guys on this team who don't get a ton of minutes. They get put in the game, and they're going to fly around. They're fresh. They, they're, they're fighting to be in the league. They're fighting to succeed. And you know, the Mavs, for whatever reason, took their, you know, their foot off the gas pedal. And they, they, that was one of the Granted, the game doesn't particularly matter too much in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's not like Luka had a big... You know, a big fall down. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. It was just you know, seven turnovers in the fourth quarter. Kyle Lowry going off, and and a team that probably hasn't seen a press in I don't know how long. Maybe Jalen Brunson was the last one to see a press two years ago in college at Villanova, and they just they had zero answer for it. Yeah, the uh, Malcolm Miller, he was was plus thirty one in just seventeen minutes of play, and most of that was in the fourth quarter. But, uh, that's a the, strong 17 minutes, I gotta say. That's, <laughs> that's a really strong 17 minutes. Absolutely. Uh, the, the interesting thing to me, uh, and, and why I think it was actually a pretty good strategy, is you know Dallas's starting lineup for, for most of these games without Doncic has involved Jalen Brunson at the point with, with uh, Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith on the wings, and then with your, with your two bigs, either Porzingis and, and uh, Powell or Porzingis and Kleba. But those lineups just really don't have much ball handling outside of Brunson, and, and Brunson seemed to, to struggle a little bit, uh, as you mentioned, being a part of those, uh, those seven turnovers. Yeah, I mean, Brunson's fine as a second-unit guy. He's fine to, to take over some possessions here and there, but as far as the lead, it was actually a, a pretty interesting coaching decision, and I haven't looked to see if Carlisle's commented on it. But when Luca was out, I just kind of assumed that Darrell Wright would be slotted in that starting, you know, lead ball handler position because, you know, he's bigger, he, he can do a little bit of scoring, a little bit of playmaking, and I feel like he just kind of fits that role better. Granted, he, he can't do it anywhere near as well as Luca can, but it just seemed like a more natural transition. My assumption is, is he thought Darrell Wright was too important to that second unit, and he didn't want to mess up the second unit, which has just been thrashing opponents all year. But if it were me, I would have put the Royal Wright in that starting lineup and seen what, what he could have done. Because it's crazy. And I don't know if you, if you know, but he's only playing about 20 minutes a game or something like that. And he was playing up to upwards of like 31 last year. And you know, he was a 
good player on the Raptors two years ago. I just, when they signed him over the offseason, I assumed he would get more time, more run. And I feel like he must have assumed that he was going to get more time. And when he's on the floor, he's just, he, he makes great decisions. He's shooting efficiently, moves the ball. He's an above average defender. I think he's, he's either second or third on the Mavs and, and box plus minus right behind Luca. So it's, you know, I, it's shocking he's not getting enough minutes. I wonder why. But in my opinion, he probably should have been starting. And you know, if you told me no Luca and you have the six games against the East and, and they go two and three, you know, I, I'll take it, considering the losses are all close. Right, um, and uh, just to clarify, I think you mean DeLon Wright, and Darrell is his brother. Well, yeah, D- Darrell is uh, is playing in Europe right now, and there's there's a couple of uh, players that are confusing that you might mix up with this team because, of course, there's there's Seth Curry as well. So if you say Steph, you know, no worries. Uh, but 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 yeah, Zach Lowe uh, actually had Rick Carlisle on his his podcast and asked him a similar question you were asking is why why doesn't delon wright start a little bit more because you know the mavericks invested some some decent money into him this offseason he seems to be a solid player and and carlisle's main main response was that he just thinks wright plays a little bit better off the bench and you know i I think that's uh, that's something that maybe we have to give some credence to because because carlisle is there day in and day out and uh, if he if he has that feeling that that Wright is going to perform better off the bench and 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 the second unit for this team has been terrific. Yeah, I agree. I do. I mean, a, a little pushback on that is that's fine if you want him to come off the bench, but you can play a guy more than twenty minutes coming off the bench. Absolutely. You don't need to give him thirty-one, but you know, twenty-five minutes. You're taking you know you're taking time away from against Brunson and Obrey is coming back and, and working back from injury, but. You know, it's a crowded backcourt, but you know, he's been he's been really good. I, I'd be interested to see how much more time he gets over the next you know, couple of months of the season. I hope it upticks. Absolutely. So I wanted to, to talk uh, briefly. We'll we'll get to to Luka Doncic and what he did at the the start of this season in a little bit. But I wanted to to uh, get your take on how this Dallas Mavericks offense has looked while he's been sidelined and. You know, not only when when he's been out, but even when he was healthy, the the bench offense with him off the floor was was basically just as good statistically as uh, as the offense when when Doncic was out there. So, what is it that uh, that that Rick Carlisle and this Mavs team are are executing and doing to sustain an elite offense even without the presence of uh, of Doncic, the MVP candidate? Yeah, they they run a ton of pick and roll. They, they move the ball well, and it's it's this thing that Carlisle does where he just, it's one thing to have a role player, and it, it's another to have a role player accept their role and perform their role effectively. And the Mavs have a team full of guys who know their role, know exactly how to play it, and don't try to extend beyond it. And when you have guys who really give into a system like that, and the system is good, you're going to have positive results. The only, the only cog in that machine that's kind of that's been struggling a bit for me is Kristaps Porzingis. And I actually, I, I have a, I'm, I, I live in New York, so I've been monitoring or watching KP for for the last three years, whatever it's been. So I have a lot of a lot of Kristaps thoughts, and watching KP go from mixed KP to Mavs KP has been. A, a very interesting thought experiment. But to go back to your question before I get ahead of myself, it's, it really is. It's just role players who know their roles and who have been put in positions where their their strengths are um, illuminated and their weaknesses are hidden, and then they just trust in the system and, and good things happen. It's, it's, it's really simple when you think about it, but it's so hard with, with guys who their whole careers, no matter what teams they've been on, they've been generally the guy. You know, Jalen Brunson was National Player of the Year. He won two championships at Villanova. Um, you know, J.J. Reyes, the, the, you know, the king of Puerto Rico. But all these guys are, are huge players and important players coming into, into the NBA. 
and then to take a step back and say, well, it's not easy for everybody. And whatever they do in Dallas, they, they find a way to get everybody to buy in. And that's, that's so important. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the thing that has been very evident to me, not only just the, the, the real simple stuff that you need for a good offense, which is the ball movement, the, the player movement, and the unselfish play, you know, finding the, the, the next pass, passing a, a good shot for a great shot. They do all of those things. But then also there's such a, such a good balance in terms of the, the shots that they're getting. Of course, Dwight Powell, we'll, we'll talk about him later. I'm not super high on him, but uh, he, uh, he does have that, that uh, rim-running presence, that roll gravity that sucks in the defense. He, uh, you know, can, can catch the lob about as good as anybody in the league. You've got uh, DeLon Wright, who, who you referenced. Uh, he, he likes to get to the basket, get to the rim. Jalen Brunson likes to live in that sort of mid-range area. And then, of course, they have three-point shooters in the likes of Hardaway Jr. and, and Seth Curry and even Maxi Kleba shooting well from downtown. And, and literally everybody that goes out there on the floor is, is a willing three-point shooter, so they always have pretty good spacing out there. But, but yeah, the, the thing that is very evident to me is just the balance on the offensive end, that, that they attack every area of the floor, and there's, there's no place the defense can, can sort of avoid. Yeah, and especially when Luke is in the game, because he's, they're, they're starting almost every possession off with, with a pick and roll, or at least most possessions are pick and roll, I think it's like 44 or 45%, and he gets double pretty much every time. And do you know who's open? I don't know who's open. I don't know if you know who's open, but Luca knows exactly who's wide open. Right. And he's so good at delivering that pass right on time, right in the perfect spot. And it's it's guys making open shots all the time. It's or at least taking open shots all the time. It's it's so beautiful to watch. Yeah, um, Again, like I said, everybody's shooting threes. Even Dwight Powell, who's been a notoriously poor free throw shooter in his career, but uh, and and when I've watched them, it seems like he's missed pretty much ninety percent of his shots from three. But he's actually shooting thirty five percent last I checked. So uh, even he's making some shots, and uh, he hit a couple of uh, of threes in that uh, in that loss to Toronto. But but yeah, Doncic uh, when he's out there, the the balance I I referenced is is even more evident. You know, Doncic one of the the big improvements in his game has been getting to the rim and finishing there. He's shooting 74% at the basket, and he's also shooting 50% in the short mid-range. And and also Brunson, who I referenced uh, getting into the mid-range, he's shooting 50% from that area this season. So uh, even when they're attacking in sort of uh, what are typically inefficient areas, they're doing it efficiently. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and it's, it's really just nice to watch I mean. Uh, how long will it last? You know, in terms of the, those mid-range shots by by Brunson and, and Luca, I'm not sure. And Luca's incredible, you know, restricted area efficiency. I'm not sure how much you can keep that up. But even if you regress more to the mid a little bit, that's that's still a really good offense. Maybe it's not you know top five in the league, but five to ten is a, is a really good spot for a team that is is young and working together and and trying to figure this kind of out on the fly. Um, but speaking of, of, of you know, offense, there's Chris Stapps presenting this. He's the, obviously the biggest addition to this team. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on, on Chris Stapps' start to the season? I, I have mine. I'll, I'll follow you up, but I'm just curious what you're thinking. Yeah, I think defensively he's been really impressive. You know, this team sitting at 15th, albeit it's not, uh, you know, being league average on, on defense isn't the greatest thing in the world, but... Given the defensive talent on this roster, uh, I think Porzingis has a lot to do with that. DeLon Wright, another guy that uh, they've added that has, that has boosted the defense. And, and given how elite their offense has been, just being league average on defense has allowed them to be a really good basketball team. And, and Porzingis, with his size and length, has, has done a lot for this team's defense. And he's often paired with, with Dwight Powell, who I think is pretty poor on that side of the ball. Uh, so, so defensively, I think he's been great. Offensively, it's been a bit of a struggle. You know, the, the statistics support that. He's shooting 30% from the mid-range and, and 33% from three. 
But uh, when you look at those those three-point numbers, he is taking some awfully difficult attempts and from uh, well beyond the, uh, the, the regulation three-point line. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's absolutely launching. I, I agree with you on the defensive end. He's been, he's been pretty, pretty unreal down there. I mean, he and Kleber really just go after every shot in the restricted area, and teams know it. And I, think, I don't know, I think he's like top five, top six. Uh, Porzingis and restricted area field goal against something like that. He's been he's been unreal, but the offense was always going to be the question mark for me. So he he wants to be the guy. You know that's, he's used to being the guy, and from where where he's coming from, the guy takes bad shots. You know, they're mixed shots, mellow shots, old time NBA shots that need to be coached, coached out of the system. He's you know. 10-foot fadeaways or you know, foul line spins over somebody who is taller than... And you know what? He's taller than everybody. And right. Just because you're taller than everybody doesn't mean that that's a good shot. Work the ball, get an open one, get some in the rim. Um, and that's really how he started the season, and that's how I... That's more or less what I think his biggest issue was, is he's taking these terrible... You know, his process was wrong. I don't, I don't care if those shots go in at all. I care that he's taking and over the course of the season, he's taken less of those and fit more into the offense. Granted, he's still not making the shots, but when he takes the shots, I'm fewer times I'm, I'm covering my eyes because I'm disgusted with, with the decision-making. So it's, it's inefficient shooting, and when you watch it now, he's making the right decisions more often. There's fewer dead possessions, you know, those 15-foot jumpers and, and stagnant post-ups. I kind of put it... Have you seen The Incredibles? Remember The Incredibles? Yes. You know, red, red guys, superheroes, this is a movie, a Pixar movie, if I'm offending anybody. Yeah, the, no, the, the Incredibles are... The, there was even a second one, both directed by yeah, Brad Bird. Yeah, I, I saw both. So, I feel like KP on the Knicks was like Mr. Incredible at the start of The Incredibles movie, Incredibles 1, where uh, Mr. Incredible is, is kind of just taking care of, like, you common nighttime foes and like petty crime aficionados like all this you know side vigilante stuff right but later on in the movie he tries pulling that hero ball style with, with Mirage and, and Syndrome the bad guys in the movie and dude just gets wrecked like he just he can't get the job done until he lets his family fight alongside him so Mavs games and, and the, the goals that the Mavs have they involve taking down Syndrome Cape it all, and KP needs to realize that he needs his elastic girl with her stretchiness. And that, remember that weird bow thing that she did? She like kind of yes. Like a uh, and then she, she like dashes the rudder and they're going off. And he needs violence, force fields, and you know all the surprises that Jack Jack has. He needs those. He can't just do it on his own. And and listen, I I give him a break for playing a star that you know befits a team with a singular star. I get it. Yes. You know, why would he know anything different? He was a you know, capital G-U-I guy in, in Latvia. There was nobody else on that team. And he was bowed down to by the short-sighted Knicks fans in New York who don't know what good basketball looks like and think that R.J. Barrett was off to a hot start. And now, he's morphing into a team guy. And to be honest, I think one of the reasons why he's morphed into this team player over the last, you know, last month or so, taking fewer of his ISO shots and and things like that, is because of Luca's rise. Luca has been so good that there's no way in, in KP's mind that he could possibly think that he's better. And it's it's a very tough psychological transition going from being the guy to being the other guy. And it's going to take time, and it has taken time. But there have been a lot of good signs in the last couple of weeks, especially when Luca was there, you know, obviously before the injury. That KP is is voluntarily and willingly relegating himself to that second banana role, and it's it's just been really good for the team and for the chemistry. If you were worried about uh, passing a test of being the guest for the hundredth episode, you don't have to worry any longer because you threw out a reference to the Incredibles. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, pretty recently, and I was like, I think this is the maps. 
Chris yep. Um, and, and yeah, I've seen a lot of those same things. He's, uh, he's taken fewer of those uh, mid-rangers. He started to attack the basket a little bit more. And, and he is really effective if he can, you know, because defenders are, are so afraid of him just shooting over the top. They press up on him. And if he gets a step on you and he's anywhere near the rim, he just can easily throw it down. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, him him attacking the basket has been a lot more effective. He's taking better shots now, and, and he's not making them at, at the clip that we're used to or that we want, but they will begin to fall. His his basketball form and his, his ability to put the ball in the hoop is going to be something that takes a while to get back, and, and his conditioning and all that stuff. It takes a while physically to be ready, but it's the mental part of the game that he's transitioning to that is just it's really nice to see. Well, the, the, the other interesting thing, uh, you know, they, they have appeased him a little bit in terms of when, while Luke, Luca has been out. Uh, they, they give him the occasional post-touch from about 15 feet. They run uh, a few times where they'll set a flare screen to get him an open three on the perimeter. So Carlisle is doing a little bit to, to get him a few more touches in these games uh, w- without Luca. And the, the other interesting thing I've noticed, and again, I mentioned the, the struggles from, from mid-range for him this season, shooting just 30%. Uh, when, when he catches the ball from about 15 feet and he's got a mismatch, uh, teams tend to overreact to that. And, and, and a lot of times he's gotten doubled and has been able to make plays for, for teammates, despite the fact that I'm not sure that's a smart strategy. I, I might be okay with just letting Kristaps shoot over the top of, uh, of a smaller defender. Yeah, I, I like it, but I like it in certain situations. I, you know, six seconds or less on the shot clock, I'm, I'm more okay with it because, no, it's not a bad shot, but the Mavs offense just generates such great looks that it's not, it's not that it's a bad shot relative to an average NBA shot. It's that it's a bad shot relative to the average Mavericks shot. Right. And when when you're, you know, below the line on your own team's expected points per shot or points per possession, then you're leaving points on the table, you're leaving money on the table, and that's, that's kind of where I draw the line. But, you know, shot clock winding down, whatever it is, certain situations, I, I absolutely have no problem with it. But it's really, you're right, the Mavs are catering to him a little bit and giving him some touches, and I think that's smart because you don't, it's really hard to go cold turkey on this thing where, where you're used to getting these mid-range jumpers and these post-ups and these isos you know all the time last year in the next or this you know two years ago in the next and then you go to getting two or three a game that's that's really tough you gotta you gotta work it down that way you know it's, it's a more gradual um progression towards the, you know the right looks and the right offense and i remember i forget when it was, I have Luca hit a buzzer beater. I haven't, I haven't saved on my Hulu has live sports. Um, actually, is it, is it Hulu has live sports? Is it just Hulu? Hulu live? I don't, I don't know. Hulu with live TV, I think, is what it is. Is what they call it. Well, my tiny little apartment in New York City, we call it Hulu has live sports. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are they a sponsor yet, by the way? Uh, Hulu has live sports. Are you, are you a sponsor? I mean, I feel like. <laughs> you may be looking to move off Baker, Baker Mayfield, so have you met Derek Bouguet at all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, seriously, living in New York, rent this box at Bonkers, and I had to cut the cord. You know, if apartments were teams, and you know, rent would cost like an unprotected first and like a reverse protected second round each month to live here. And, <laughs> uh, we need to get like, we need to get Ted Steffi in to buy up some land here and, and do some market correcting for us. But, yeah. I need to look into uh, to Hulu with live TV because I've been a, a PlayStation View subscriber for the last few years, and they're they're actually uh, shutting down the service as of January thirtieth of next year. So I've got to make oh, a wow. uh, I've got to make a new plan for my uh, cord cutting. Hulu should have sponsored on the Duncan Dynasty podcast with Derek Bougay. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't have had these problems. <laughs> but anyway, so I recorded this last game. Record a lot of the last games that are on national TV because why not? And so I'm watching and Luca hits this buzzer beater and it pans the bench. And the bench is going nuts. Everybody's running out of the court. And there's KP. He had been taken out of the game because he had like two or three really crappy possessions where he like 
he did like a fade away from eight feet off the left rock and like tried to bank it in and he blew it and he tried to drive and it got stripped and then Carlisle's like, you know what, you're out. You're done. Take a seat. And KP's just sitting on the bench. Team just won the game. Uh, or, you know, big buzzer beater at the end of the quarter, big shot, timeout, whatever it was. KP's just on the bench as if, you know, as if they just lost. And it was, I saw it and I paused it, took a picture, sent it to my friends. And I was like, this is not the attitude that it's going to be okay to win games. We need a player, KP, who's happy for everybody to succeed, not just KP to succeed. But that, Garrett, was early season Chris Porzingis. That was number one banana on the Knicks. Let's win you know, 21 games and I'll be the star. Chris Stapps Porzingis. And I think now he's having a lot more fun being the second banana. Let's just let's just go in every night. Let's get the win. Let's play, you know, contending teams really well. And maybe I won't have a great night, but if the team wins, that's good enough for me and I will contribute eventually. And just his attitude on the court has gone so far away from that pouting on the bench because you got taken out even though your team still succeeded. It's it's a huge transition and hey, you know, I couldn't be prouder for, for this young man, the seven three young man for, for realizing that winning might be a little bit more important than his fadeaway bank shot from eight feet away. Right, and you know, you you referenced the fact that Luca has been so awesome this season, uh, ha, has kind of uh, made it so that Chris Stapps recognizes, okay, this isn't like a, a dual number one role. I am the number two guy on this team. Uh, you know, Doncic averaging over 29 points a game, 9.6 rebounds and 8.9 assists, 61.8% true shooting on 37% usage. Those are, you know, full-fledged MVP type numbers. And, and yeah, so not only having Luka there as the go-to guy, but then also, yeah, as you said, just winning basketball games. I think winning uh, solves a lot of issues that some of the, the bad teams struggle with. Yeah, and, you know, you say those stats, it's, you know, luckily I'm not, not in public right now reading those stats off to me. I might have, might have some problems. <laughs> but it's just... My mom goes right by school, you know, and home holidays is <laughs> not great. Thank God I'm inside. Uh, he's been great. And I, I love, you mentioned Powell and his rim running ability earlier. And it's, it's the Luca screen and roll with Powell and Cleveland. And a lot of times, those two guys, they rim run, and Luca finds the alley if it's open. Perfect pass every time. They throw it down. Every now and again, they'll pop out and take the three. And then with KP, it's almost the opposite, where it's most of the time he's popping out, but sometimes he'll rim run. And actually, my favorite play, maybe my favorite play in the NBA this year, is the Luka and Powell or Kleber pick and roll with KP in the corner, in the weak side corner. And what happens is uh, one of them will pop. So... If it's, let's say it's Powell, just for simplicity's sake. Powell sets the screen, Luca goes, Powell pops. Luca starts driving. Now there's nobody in the paint for the most part. And KP is in the far side corner. And what's happening is KP, every now and again, when his man looks over to help, or he just turns his head or whatever it is, KP, instead of staying in the corner waiting for that three, he runs baseline and catches the LU. Don't get me wrong, a corner three is a great shot, but an alley-oop is, is two points every time. You, know, you, don't, you don't see P.J. Tucker or, or Janet Obi or these other guys who, you know, who, who kind of make the corner their natural habitat. You know, they're, they're standing out there, peeing on fire hydrants, you know, marking their territory, rigs in right, right places, you know, driving out on the pole shooters, and you know, just staying there and have the corner with its glory. Those dudes aren't sucking in for alley-oops like this. And it's just another dimension to the corner three and that spot-up shooter and the whole spacing. And that's just really amazing. I think there's that, that one picture that they took where it's like Luca and KP doing the Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Yes. I'm pretty sure that came off this play where, where KP spotting up for three from the corner, Luca drives, and then KP sucks in when the defense isn't looking. 
and it's just an easy alley oop. Done it maybe four or five times this year, and it's it is beautiful to see. I don't know if you picked up on it, but if you you know next time you watch a match game, try to try to see if they do it. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting observation. Uh, I haven't noticed that myself, but yeah, I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and and I think it's uh, one thing I have noticed is you know while Luca's been out, you know Dwight Powell, who is probably getting you know two to three lob dunks every game when Luca is playing, really isn't getting those same same uh, same opportunities. And a lot of this probably just comes from the fact that Luca is such a brilliant passer and especially a brilliant lob thrower that uh, makes all of this possible. You know, it, it, I imagine all 30 teams would, would like to do the, the, the sort of sets that you're describing and get those easy buckets, but they don't have a passer of Luca's caliber. Yeah, no. And actually, question for you. Correct me, I feel like we've, we've been talking for what? Maybe. Uh maybe like 30 minutes or so, and we haven't really salivated over Luca too much. So I'm interested, what is your, what's your, the, the thing you like the most, your biggest, your biggest like for, for Luca so far this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, I referenced the, the numbers earlier on where he's, he's hitting 74% at the rim. That's, that's the big thing for me. And, you know, you, you talk about the fact that this Dallas team added some, some talent. They added some shooting in the offseason. And, you know, defenses can't focus as much on Luka because they've got players around him that can, that can make, make them pay. And, and he's really been able to uh, get into the teeth of the defense and take advantage of that space and finish incre- incredibly well. And, and yeah, it, it, it may come down. That 74% may not stay for the rest of the season. But even if he's at, like, high 60s, that's a, that's a huge improvement over what he was last year. And I think it's a huge part of why... Uh, he's uh, he's had all of those counting stat increases, you know, getting to the rim, finishing, getting uh, to the free throw line more, and then also, uh, you know, sucking in the defense and, and hitting those uh, really valuable corner three-point shooters. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, all the stuff he's doing, you said those those crazy counting stats. I feel like before the injury, every game there was, uh, you know, nobody scored more than 30 points and fewer than, three shots and had 12 assists to non-all-stars, you know, like, you know, saving nine fish from drowning and successfully ordering a Big Mac from Burger King. Like, <laughs> every game there would be a new ridiculous stat. And I was actually starting to, to hate it because he was being put on such a pedestal that like, he was bound to drop from 74 to 69. He was bound to go from 33 points a game to 29 or, or whatever it is. And that's when, that's when all the, the, the piranhas come and they start nipping and saying he's regressing, he had a hot start, but people are figuring it out. So I really, you know, granted, you don't want anybody to get hurt, but I, I kind of liked it for him because it, it kind of took some hype off and, you know, got rid of some of that, that burden of grandeur off his shoulders. So, you know, the timing wasn't great, and the timing's never really great for an injury, but I'm not... I wasn't too upset. It was kind of like a blessing in disguise where we could all take a step back, you know, you know give him some space, and, and let's, let's relax on the loop. He's amazing. He's top five. But we don't have to, we don't have to build him up just because I know, I know at some point people are going to want to knock him down. Um, so I kind of worry about that. But that's probably the, the biggest thing I disliked about the Mavs this year was, was the, the Luka just constant, constant, He's the best player ever. It, it made it tough. That and the, and the Mavs City jerseys. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I was seven, I would have asked Anna for, like, six of those. Yeah. <laughs> they had some alternates uh, in in uh, their game against Toronto, too, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, but uh, the... Uh, yeah, the, the the reporters that you know mentioning Luca amongst the all time greats basically after every game became basically a meme on Twitter, uh, and you know at saying hey you know you you did something that only Michael Jordan and Larry Bird knew and and he basically his response to that was like there's there's too many stats out there like let's just let's just let's stop this. <laughs> yeah, that that's nice because honestly there are there are just way too many stats. I probably haven't. I probably have a stat. Every every NBA player has like a crazy historical stat, just like 
every actor has been on an episode of SVU. Right. There is um, there is a there's a stat that's gone around that that puts Thaddeus Young uh, amongst the likes of you know LeBron James and so <laughs> just like a list of like six of the greatest twenty players of all time, and then Thaddeus Young is also in there. It's uh... yeah. So you could say seven of the greatest twenty-one players of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But, uh... Frankie's uh, top fifty ranking. <laughs> right. Thaddeus Young. You've got some explaining to do on that one, but uh, but yeah, Doncic has been has been absolutely incredible. The improved free throw shooting has been uh, has been notable as well. Uh, he uh, yeah he's been terrific. And yeah, just getting back to one more thing about Porzingis before we talk more a little bit more about like some of the role players on this roster um, is. You know, again, I referenced the the deep range that he has, and uh, he's taking several threes every game from from thirty to thirty five feet out on the floor. And in in their really impressive win in stopping the Milwaukee Bucks eighteen game win streak, he had a couple of threes from about thirty five feet right in Giannis's grill that uh, basically sealed the game. The Bucks had a crazy run near the end, but it it seemed like Dallas had it uh, had it secured after those back to back. Deep, deep threes. Yeah, I mean, they're fun. They kind of go in on a pretty high clip. What was interesting in that game is the aggression he had towards Giannis, because I'm sure you remember, or, or the Twitter sphere has reminded you, that KP injured his ACL against a dunk on Giannis. So, kind of going back, I'm sure had a lot of memories seeing Giannis again and playing in that game. Yeah. Kind of one thing I've noticed. And it's an issue for a lot of players. You know, Derek Rose said he had this issue. Gordon Hayward had said he had this issue. Paul George. It's coming off an injury and getting back to that confidence level where you trust your body and you're, you're willing to play a similar style and, and really go all out. And to, to his credit, I haven't really noticed much uh, deliberation, in his, or not deliberation, just more um, caution in his game where he's still going at the hoop. He's trying to block everybody. He's trying to dunk on everybody. It's, I was a little worried he'd be timid, but he plays really hard, kind of like the KP in New York that those first couple seasons when he was healthy. It's, it's been nice to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the, there is no fear in, in his game, which is a very positive sign. Yeah, the, the next step will be hopefully those, those shooting numbers coming up a little bit, and, and yeah, even just the the shot chart getting to the basket a little bit more than he has been, and, and we've seen a little bit of improvement as far as that's concerned in the in the last couple of weeks. But but yeah, those those deep shots for me uh, are are not only really fun to watch, but I, I got to imagine as an opposing team when he's knocking down a couple of those from you know a few steps inside half court, that's got to be a little demoralizing, right? Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you do at that point? You're definitely not going to block him close to the rim. You're not going to get close enough to block him 35 feet away. And, and what's weird, his shot is like, it's like a laser. He shoots it like 11 and a half feet above the ground. <laughs> yeah. And somehow it still goes in. I mean, coming from 20 years of Dirk, where he's launching it, you know, 60 feet in the air half the time, and KP barely gets it above the rim. The entire trajectory is just barely above the rim. Complete, complete 180 from, from Dirk's shot. Yes, uh, it, uh, and it, it's weird, you know, Dirk's shot was so beautiful when it would swish through the net, but there's something, there's something gorgeous about uh, a, a deep Porzingis three going in as well, even though, as you said, they're, they're very different looking shots. Yeah, um, it's almost violent. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. The, uh, so yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to get in and, and hear some of your thoughts about some of the role players' contributions Tim Hardaway Jr. He had a a huge first quarter in their uh, in their blowout win against Philadelphia. Went five for five from three in the first quarter, and he's been averaging close to 17 points a game as a starter, and and he's shooting 38 percent from three. You know, I uh, when I did my uh, Mavs article for the draft class early on in the season, I uh, I left him out of the article just because he was he was still seeming to, to take a bunch of just really poor shots and, and have some, some pretty awful-looking turnovers. But he's actually started to, to play better. And, and similar to Porzingis, has maybe 
you know, started to be a little bit more of a system player, even though he is he is still very aggressive looking for his shot. Yeah, he, he is very aggressive, but I would say the aggressive uh, the aggressiveness is coming more in terms of he's he's just kind of just shooting right away, which I'm okay with because a lot of times he's open. The issue with Hardaway was, you know, when he was in Atlanta and then in the Knicks and even last year when he was in the Mets, was he would, you know, come off the dribble and shoot or he'd do ISO and end up at the mid-range. And those are the shots that he doesn't excel at. He's a good, he's a very good shooter. If you get him a, a wide-open look, he's going to make the shot or at least when he shoots it, he's the type of player who you think, okay, this is probably going in. And those are the shots that he's been taking more since he's been in the starting lineup because he's had, he's had Luka. He's had Luka to create these open looks, and he doesn't need to iso ball anymore. It's, it goes back to the coaching staff and Rick Carlisle and really everybody on the team buying into their roles and accepting their roles and, and you know, playing all their minutes in that defined role. And his role is catch and shoot. You know, if, if it's late shot clock, by all means, you know, create a shot. You're one of the few players on the team who can do that. But more often than not, it's it's a within the system jump shot from three, and and I I have no problem with that. He's much you know he's paid too much to do that. But if you know we can't change the amount he's paid, he's getting paid. We can change the efficiency the efficiency of his looks, and it's really nice to see because another guy in the Knicks who I've watched the last bunch of years just not fun to watch, just horrible, horrible. So this new, new and improved Tim Hardaway Jr. I like the 2019-2020 version more than more than all the other vintages. Absolutely, uh, the 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 other couple of guys that have been really good, uh, Seth Curry shooting 39 percent from downtown, and and he's uh, you know he's had a, a few pretty big games. He had 26 points in that uh, in that win against Milwaukee. Uh, he's had a couple of games where he got over 30. And, you know, he's not only a, a guy that has, has helped space the floor, especially when Luke has been playing, but when Luke has been out, he's shown a little bit more ability to, to kind of uh, take a, a few pages from, from Steph's book and, and be a little bit more of a shot creator. Yeah, no, he's, he's a really good. Uh, he's, the, he's the one guy on the team where no matter where he shoots and when he shoots, I think it's going in. Every single time, I think it's going in. And he's, he, you're kind of hitting it on the nose where he's, he's taking more shots and he's creating more shots. But the, the best part about it is that they're all generally smart plays. They're good looks. And maybe he gets that from Steph too where, you know, it's just a smart basketball family and they know how to play the game and they play it well. And, and Seth sees an opportunity to, you know, take a, a bigger role because the team needs it right now with Luka out. And he's playing great. I mean, it's, it's really, it, they, they went two and three or two and four, whatever it was on the stretch, two and three, I think against these great teams, and they didn't lose by more than, like, five or six points in any of these games. They're, they're playing competitive, and it's because they're playing smart and they're playing, you know, under control. And it's, it's really everybody. There's, I can't point to one person who I'm thinking, you know, this guy's been a huge liability. And Seth is, you know, at the top of the list of the guys who can play really well. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned them going two and three, and and that for one of those losses against Miami, where Luca actually started the game and then then sprained his ankle within the first couple of minutes of the ball game, and and that one I almost don't even count just because it's it's so deflating thinking you've got it and then you don't. Whereas they were able to, the rest of the team was able to get in the mindset for these last four, and and yeah, they they've gone two and two in the last four, and and. Probably should have gone three and one if it wasn't for that uh, that horrible fourth quarter against against Toronto. But um, another thing I've noticed uh, in this stretch is, and and it's, this is something that Carlisle has been known for over the years, but I didn't see a lot of it early in the season. But they've started to go to a little bit more zone. You saw it a little bit in the in the Philly game, and even a little bit uh, in this recent uh, Toronto game. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a whole league-wide trend where teams are kind of jumping into the zone a little bit more after after the Raptors had some success in the playoffs last year. And, you know, a zone, really, really any successful defense, it starts with communication and it starts with smart players because, you know, I, I can guard my guy as good as I can, but if I can't help and I don't know where to rotate to, the defense is going to fall apart. 
and with zone, you know, you're, you're guarding areas, you got to pull in, you got to know where, where people are leaking in, and all sorts of things. So it's communication, it's smart players, it's, it's active hands, it's quick feet, and the Mavs had the, the physicality to do that. And you know, again, another you know testament to Rick Carlisle, getting these guys who are smart and teaching them and coaching them the right way, where they know where to be and, and when to be there. Which, if you if you can do that, it's always really effective. And if we're in that period of time where it's almost like a, I don't know if you're a big football fan, but quarterback starting quarterback gets hurt and the backup comes in. The defense didn't prepare for the backup. They didn't, you know, they don't have hours of film on the backup. So, yeah, he's probably not as good of a player, but you don't understand the tendencies, and you're not as as educated on what the offense is going to bring. And we're in that stage in the NBA right now, where the zone is fresh. The zone is the backup quarterback. Where, yeah, maybe it's not as effective as as the man defense in, in its full form, but we just don't have enough data on it. We don't have it. We haven't seen it enough to formulate, uh, you know, proper attacks of, of the zone. So the offenses are struggling right now. I'm sure at some point it'll turn and, and the zone will get less and less effective. But right now it's, it's a really good change of pace defense. Right, and I think also, you know, you talk about the grind of an 82-game season, um, you know, playing man-to-man defense for the entire year. That's It's pretty exhausting, you know. I think zone defense... Uh, there's there's less movement required of the players out there, so it can be a little bit of a break and, and make things a little bit easier and, and maybe avoid a little bit of wear and tear on some of these guys. But the Mavs have the personnel, I think, to, to really potentially, especially with like a 3-2 zone with having Kristaps and, and Kleba as the two guys near the basket with their size and length, uh, that, uh, that they could they, they have the personnel to be a pretty effective zone D. Yeah, their 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 lineups are incredibly valuable, and the, the one guy who's who's been great at that is Dorian Finney-Smith. He's he's long, he's tall, um, he's not an offensive liability. You know, he makes his shots when, when he has them. He's almost like a like prime Alfred Benito light, or like a post prime Ariza light. Like he's doesn't try to do anything unless it's right in front of his face. And on defense, he's active and long, and you know. There's 30 teams in the league who want a guy like that, who who can make the, the open shots when he has them, and on defense can, can guard a bunch of positions. Is smart, is long, is active, you know, gets in passing lanes. So Dorian Finney Smith is kind of a, a guy that I like when he's out on the floor. Regardless, man's own defense, he's he's been great for that team. Yeah, he um, you know, I, I was surprised at. Uh the lack of interest that he saw this offseason. The Mavs ended up getting him on, I believe it was a three-year, $12 million deal, and that seems like an absolute steal. And yeah, he, he he isn't amazing at any one thing, but he just seems to be pretty solid across the board. He, uh, you know, he's, he's hitting his threes at a reasonable rate. He's, uh, as you said, a, a solid, if not great, defender. Uh, he's, he's a really good offensive rebounder for his position, something that... Uh, um, you know, maybe the, the NBA has kind of shied away from, but a uh, skill that, that he definitely has, and, and Rick Carlisle has given him the freedom to, to use that skill. Uh, and then he also has, has gotten out in transition and, and, and fueled this team. This is, this is a question I had for you. You know, I was looking at the stats, and, and it surprised me that, that the Mavericks' pace is not significantly higher than it was last year. I think they're 19th in pace this season, whereas they were 20th last year. But just from the eye test, it appears that the Mavs are playing faster. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it's, it's I think more of a product of more possessions with Luka. So it just the, it takes a while to get into the offense. Granted, they're, they're running out in transition great and, and all that good stuff, but the, the half-court offense is what slows down their pace because Luka you know, takes some time to get into the offense, but once it gets going... You know, once those first eight, ten seconds go by and the offense starts starts to really make its move, then it's fun. the ball's flying around, there's bodies everywhere. So it's, you know, from a 24-second shot clock perspective, it's it's probably a pretty slow pace. But when you look at it, it's really when are they getting into the offense and how quickly are things moving after that. That is probably why you're noticing or you're kind of perceiving a higher pace just because they're, 
the ball moves and everybody moves really quick once once you know, they get the offense into gear. It just doesn't happen right away unless obviously they have transition. Yeah, the uh, I suppose making the defense work and taking a, a good chunk of, of time in your half court sets to, to get good shots is yeah would would lower that pace number, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're you're uh, you're not having an effective offense. Yeah, that that has been something I've noticed is they've they've gotten out in transition more and they've they've taken advantage of of even semi transition opportunities more than I've seen from from past Carlisle groups. But uh, but yeah, Finney Smith has been has been excellent. Uh, a, a, another guy I wanted to, to talk about a little bit, and that and that is Dwight Powell. He's been a guy that basically all season long I, I haven't really been impressed with him. Uh, he he seems to struggle finishing around the rim if he's not able to get in there for a dunk. Uh, his defense, although he he plays hard, he seems to you know he doesn't have the greatest length in the world. He's not the strongest guy, so he's not a super formidable defender, and he often is you know over helping. But despite you know just watching him out there, his his on off numbers are are really impressive. The Mavericks are ten point one points better per hundred possessions with Powell on the floor. What have you seen from from Dwight Powell? Yeah, it's it's kind of what you've seen, where it's it seems like it, remember when uh, that first Clippers Rockets game where Harden put up like forty seven and. And Pat Beverly ended up like fouling out or whatever. And after the game, Russ had that comment where it was like, like Pat Beverly doesn't play defense. He just runs around, you know, like a, whatever he said, runs around, but it really leads to nothing. That's that's kind of what I see with Dwight Powell. Is he runs around? He's he's in every play for whatever reason. Um, sometimes it's to do good things. Generally, only if it's an alley. A lot of times it's to do bad things. But he's, he's always there, and it, it's active and it's hustle, but you're not sure if it's misguided or not. Right. Um, I, I, I kind of, I don't hate what he's on the floor, because the alternatives aren't, it's not like we have, you know, Montrezl Harrell on the bench that could be going in. But, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of the, the reckless abandon that kind of leads to nothing with Dwight Powell, but. You're right, the on-off numbers are good. Um, Luca seems to like him, obviously. Ricardo seems to like him. And, you know, it's hard to quantify the, the effect that playing hard all the time has on your defense, on uh, everybody else on your team's ability to play hard and drive to play hard. So, you know, maybe there's like, a, like an abstract value in that. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot of... Much ado about nothing, but for whatever reason, they're good with him on the floor, so I can't complain too much. But you know, it would be interesting to see if you know maybe a better player got those minutes, how much better those off on off numbers would be. Right. Yeah. Like Powell, honestly, reminds me a little bit of like a um, you know a DeAndre Jordan minus the the bulk and the the shot blocking. Um, yeah. But and and you know DeAndre Jordan I think was overrated for years because he played with Chris Paul one of the best passers in the league and I think Dwight Powell uh, his value is fully utilized on this team on the offensive end because of Luka Doncic's uh, you know amazing passing ability um, so you know he he has had a positive effect on on the offensive end and and again his his uh, his rim runs suck in the defense at times which opens up three point shooters. But but yeah, defensively, like you said, it's a lot of kind of running around like like a chicken with its head cut off, and uh, yeah. he uh, he's often uh, when when I'm rewinding the possession and seeing where the breakdown is coming from, it's I'm often noticing it's Dwight Powell. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned before, his his greatest offensive contribution, the rim running and the alley oops, with Luca, you know, been out these last couple games, he just hasn't been getting those so. It's really, his value seems dependent on everybody else as opposed to, you know, he actually brings it himself. But, yeah, it's, it's fine. He's good for now. Um, he plays hard and he doesn't mess with chemistry. He's a good team player, so I'll take it. It, it is kind of a bummer these last couple of games where the Mavs are going against probably their toughest stretch all season and you want to, you know, figure out where to slot them among the, the league's elite. 
and they're missing their best player, their top five player in the league so far this year. It's it's hard to really take much away from those games. That being said, like early January, something like that. So you know, Luca comes back hopefully this week or early next week, gets his feet on the rim, and then early January they have a three game stretch against the Nuggets, Lakers, and Sixers. I think all at home. So looking ahead a little bit, what do you expect from there? You know, assuming you know Luca's back healthy, kind of back to his normal self. Yeah, I, I was going to kind of ask you the same question in terms of the sort of the rest of the year expectations, if you expect them to kind of be uh, right around where they are now in, in fifth in the West. Um, I I think the offense is for real. I think the, the progression that, that Luka has made this season is is real. And, you know, they, they've got, as I stated earlier, a really good balance to this offense. They're well coached, you know, and, and maybe certain guys are, are going to regress from from a shooting standpoint but I would expect Porzingis to to improve as the year goes on with with his shooting and you know hopefully get into the to the mid 30s as a three point shooter which he's been throughout his career uh, as a member of the Knicks so yeah I think the offense is for real the defense I think that you know again with with the way Porzingis is playing Finney Smith Delon Wright they, they've got a, enough of a mixture of defenders, even though they've got some poor guys. I think Jalen Brunson is, uh, it hasn't been talked enough that, uh, that he is a bit of a defensive liability due to his lack of size. But they, they've got enough defensive talent to, I think, remain around uh, league average. And again, if you're, if you're a top three offense with a league average defense, you're, you're going to win a lot of games and, and most likely close to 50, if not more. Yeah, well, that's exactly you know, where I see them falling in. You know, that, that. You know, 48, 49 to, you know, 52, 53 wins. Um, you know, injury luck, shooting luck, all those things, you know, are a factor. But just, you know, in an ideal world where, you know, nobody gets hurt, every team experiences the same level of, of success, you know, with all the luck. Um, I think I think they're, they're right around 50 wins. It's a playoff team, and with how deep their bench is, I think you'll see them, you know, a lot of the big games that they have the rest of the year at least be competitive, if not with them. I don't see this team getting blown up that much. Um, granted, I'm sure it will happen, bad shooting rights, things like that, but this isn't really a team that gets blown out. Um, if anything, they're a team that blows everybody else out because they're getting all these open looks, and it's, it's you know, a night that KP goes 5 of 7 from 3, Dwight Powell goes, you know, 1 of 3, and Dorian Finney-Smith goes 2 of 4. That's just a lot more, it adds up pretty quickly when you're getting all these open looks and it's just, you know, your role players making shots. So I don't see them getting blown out very much. I actually see them blowing other teams out and, and you know, rolling their way to about 50 wins, like you said. Yeah, on my uh, on my episode last week with with Darius Scott, we did uh, tiers and, and we briefly talked about about Dallas and and they were in my tier for potentially making the conference finals and I think part of what could lead to that is obviously having a uh, you know a favorable cu- first couple of matchups similar to what Denver and Portland got to experience in last season's oh, okay. Western right. Conference. Sneak our way to the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> right, but but it also I think a lot of it will come down to you know Porzingis just improving month over month for the rest of the season and and maybe by the time we get to April and May he's looking more like uh, more like himself and and those shooting numbers are uh, are back to to what you would expect um, and and yeah if if he does that and and you continue to get the production that they've been getting from Luka Doncic and. Uh, again, these role players, I think, have, have shown to fit well around those two. This team could be dangerous come playoff time. Yeah, they, they, they certainly could. And for me, and I'm sure for a lot of Mavs fans and you know, just the, the organization, the, the horizon is not, it's not win-now mode. It's not we you know, championship or bust this year. It's, it's incremental steps, and we have you know, five years to, to really make something of Luka and KP. And we have plenty of time to, to see where this goes and let it grow. So, yeah, granted, you want as much success as possible this year, but it's not it's not do or die. It's not the Rockets and the Lakers where every every year you don't win, you're kind of, you know, biting your nails and you're nervous if you have another shot or if, you know, age catches up, catches up to you. We, 
it's a young team, a lot of a lot of potential, a lot of great great skill right now. But you know the the, the sky's the limit, and whatever happens this year is great. But it's not fans aren't counting on this year to be that year. This is more of just a fun ride, and, and things will get more intense as the years go on, and, and expectations continue to rise. Right. I mean, with with Luka Doncic just twenty and Porzingis at at twenty four. They they do have uh, they do have a window here in the next four or five years hopefully as long as uh, everybody stays healthy, and yeah I, I think pretty much however it goes as long as the Dallas Mavericks make the playoffs this year I think uh, everyone in Dallas should be pretty pleased with uh, with this season and yeah I, I I'm kind of hoping for for this season for Dallas kind of to be like the the 2010 Thunder where they got to challenge the uh, the defending champion Lakers in, in the first round and, and made it a competitive series and, and got their their feet wet in in uh, postseason basketball I think if uh, if Dallas is able to do that this year I think that will be a, a good step in the right direction yeah that, and that was that I think the Lakers won that series on like fortune or something that yes was, that was such a fun series yeah that would be that would be great. That would be a great end of the season, I would say. I mean, granted, you haven't been in the finals, but being competitive in a playoff series against a legit contender, you know, can't ask for much more than that. All right, Frankie, was there anything else uh, you wanted to discuss as far as the Mavericks before we uh, wrap this up? No, no, I think I'm, I think I'm good. You know, we got a bunch of Christmas games coming up. Spend time with the family, watch the basketball, relax a little bit, and, um, yeah, no, everything's everything's all good right now. Yeah, thanks so much for for coming on, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, and Merry Christmas to everyone uh, everyone listening. Thank you to you as well. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow again, a rating on there. Uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g bouguet at onu edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar and uh, have a great rest of your day.